0: Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. And now, AJ and Chris Shepard. Hello, and welcome to the West Side Investors Network. This year, we're launching a new segment on the show, The Deal Deep Dive. These are many episodes where our featured guests will share their unique stories on a specific deal they have participated in. We will go deep on all aspects of the deal, from finding it to making the offer, due diligence, and more. Do us a solid and smash that subscribe
1: button, leave us a rating, and
2: further your
1: investing
2: journey. Welcome to the Deal Deep Dive on the Win Podcast, West Side Investors Network. Today, we have a special guest, Ashton with Valkyrie. He is going to introduce himself a little bit first before we get into the deal. Ashton, go for it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Trent. Always a pleasure to talk about myself, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, definitely. Thank you for having me on.
1: Yeah, so I am a 21 year veteran, special operations, got in right before the war started and been doing that ever since. And then around 2018, everything was slowing down. I was looking at getting out, retiring out of the military. And my brother and I, decided we didn't want to have to get other jobs or I didn't want to have to get another job he didn't want to keep investing in the stock market because it kept going up and down and losing money and gaining money you know everybody that knows that so we lo- started looking at real estate and we bought our first two duplexes in the fall of 2018 we basically made a challenge for ourselves we we'll get some under contract in the next 90 days and we did and we looked failed miserably and we learned a ton and we came out relatively unscathed even though we made all the mistakes and yeah we're like yeah let's do it again So we kept going and we built a team around it, built a whole business, brought both of our wives. They quit their jobs. They're in our business now. So now we're we're spread across. That was in North Carolina, was the first deal in downtown Durham. We still have property in North Carolina. Now we're in Florida, Ohio, Texas, Arizona. And that's about it. But yeah, we primarily focus on large multifamily properties. So apartment complexes, usually 50 units or more. The biggest we've done is a 384 unit. But then we also shifted into the luxury Airbnb space because we saw good opportunity there in a niche that's not being fulfilled. And I know a lot of people out there are like, it's oversaturated in Airbnb, but I think if you know what to look for and, and if you specialize and maybe we can talk about that later, but there's a lot of opportunity there. So yeah, we started syndicating those deals as well. And so by syndicating, I mean, we brought in other partners, private investors, passive investors, if you will, that want to diversify outside of their market, outside of their state, outside of the stock market, whatever. And so- That has enabled us to grow and uh, create a decent business around it. So that's where we are today.
2: Very nice. And for people that don't know or haven't heard of Valkyrie yet, you guys mainly focus on syndication in real estate, correct?
1: That's right. Yeah. So syndication, we pool a bunch of passive investors together to make these deals possible. We do all the work, all the heavy lifting, and people get to sit back and collect mailbox money. So it depends where you want to be on that, right? You either have the time and the ability to do it on your own and maybe even the capital and do everything on your own, or you have the capital, but not the time, or you have the capital, but you don't want to spend the time, but there's a place there for everybody. So we found our niche in putting these deals together and making these things happen. And so, yeah, syndication's in a nutshell.
2: (laughs) One thing I like about your story before we dive into the deal that we're talking about today is the fact that you started with two duplexes, failed miserably, but you didn't give up. (laughs) You kept going. A lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth after their first deal or second deal and that's it for them. They don't keep going and they uh, pack it in and are done, but instead you guys went to the next level and straight to apartments, which is something that not a lot of people can say. So what deal are we talking about today? So this was our
1: first official syndication. We've had passive investors or partners on every deal we've done. And I think for those, I don't know who you're the people that listen to this, like I don't know where they are on their journey, but if you're trying to scale, like that is one of the best ways to do it is work with other people. And we fell into that on our first deal and we just realized the power of it. If we can get our systems, our processes down, or put our team in place, Then And we just partner with people. The sky is the limit because there's so much more out there that can be done if you work with other people. It's been fun.
2: (laughs) So how many units is the deal that we're talking about? Where is it at and when did you get it? Okay. So this
1: one was, I believe it in the scheme of things, I think it was our fifth deal and it was a 16 unit apartment complex, townhome, walk up townhome style split. So eight on one side, eight on the other. And then there was a parking lot in the middle. It was Fayetteville, North Carolina, which a lot of people will cringe at because uh, if you've been in the military, you know, they call it Vietnam for good reason. <laughs> it is right next to the biggest military base in the world, which is Fort Bragg. And then it's right down the street from Cape Fear Hospital. Both of those institutions provide a ton of jobs. And of course, those are the people we want to be renting our units, right? So yeah, North Carolina... It was in Fayetteville, North Carolina, 16 units. And that was our very first apartment syndication.
2: So it being your first apartment syndication, talk a little bit about how you found the deal and how you ended up getting that deal under contract. Because I know, like me personally, I haven't necessarily purchased anything that big myself. And for a lot of people, I think that could be daunting or scary. How did you approach that deal? How'd you find it? And what'd you do to actually get it tied up?
1: Well, first, I want to address the one thing you said, the scary part. There was a point in our journey where we, so 2018, we got this one under contract in fall of 2019. So almost a full year later, and we'd done five deals at that point. And my brother's wife at the time had started handling the books and she said, and we'd already been kind of thinking this. Like, we want to move into apartments because the loans are better for one. The risk profile is much better. You take a vacancy on a duplex and that's half your profits. So you take a vacancy on a 100 unit, that's 1% of your profits, right? If everything's rented. So she literally said this in a meeting. She's like, why are we continuing to do these duplexes when it's the same? Because we had done a 13 unit prior with just one investor. And what he said, she said, why are we continuing to do these duplexes when it's the same amount of work if we were to do a 13 or bigger, right? And so for us, the rationale just made sense. There was no fear at that point. We were like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's just 13 units and then we just focus on that. Maybe we get two contractors, uh groups of contractors to work on it instead of just one. So it was a gradual process. We didn't just like, let's just jump into it. Some people might say we scaled pretty quick, but the reality is like when you get two competitive guys, like my brother and I are very competitive, we were Hitting the books and podcasts like endlessly, and I'm trying to figure out how to do this stuff. And it just made sense. It was just the, the next step. And so there was no real fear. We were nervous, but there was no real fear of it. So that's what I would recommend. Get educated if you're facing that. And then your next part of your question was, how did we find it? How do we get it under contract? So one of the things that my brother Christopher and I both did endlessly was networking. And we had very big mouths and we would talk about everything we're doing and trying to do. And we were very clear from the start, like what we wanted to achieve. And so whenever somebody met us, they knew right off the bat, like these guys want to do this. They want to get this many units under contract. They want to have this many assets under management. They want to have this much cash flow. Like they knew we had our 60 second pitch down and we would tell everybody. And for two reasons, one, to find deals, but then also to bring in other investors, obviously. And because we were networking and talking about everything we're doing so much, a friend of mine, he was the real estate agent on our 13 unit. He said, you guys want to do something a little bit bigger? And he started kicking us deals. And we started underwriting these deals. At the time, we're using Michael Blanc's syndicated deal analyzer. I don't know if you're familiar with that. We were using that, which is still, it's a great... Tool, we still use it. And we were using that, and we had found a really great mortgage broker, and we would take our deals to the mortgage broker, and he was a a really good dude. He would just, he would look at it and be like, I wouldn't invest in that, or I would. When it came to that 16 unit, he's like, I think you guys have a winner. We trusted him because we've been talking to him now for about a year, trying to get some type of thing going there. Because we had done a five unit and a 13 unit prior. So the commercial lending space, we were familiar with it. We understood how the net operating income drives the value. Right. And so if we can improve the net operating income, then it makes it a good deal. And if it's already cash flowing at a rate of 1.25 times what it would take to put it under debt, right, 1.25 times the debt, the debt service coverage ratio, it was a good deal. It took us a while to figure that out, but he helped us figure that out. And so that's essentially what happened. We kept bringing him deals. Well, he on that one, he was like, this looks like a really good deal. So we were underwriting maybe a couple of deals a week, honestly, because we were reaching out to people in Raleigh and Durham, and then of course in Fayetteville. And yeah, he brought us that one and we walked it. It looks great. They wanted 980,000 for it. And it had about half of the units needed brand new AC units. So we were able to talk them down from that and we got another 40,000 off. So we got it for 940,000, which it's still cash flowed. Still all expenses were paid for. And it was fully occupied at that time. And there was definitely value-add to be had during the due diligence found termites in one of the units. There was cockroach infestation in another one. There was, of course, the AC units, a lot of landscaping that needed to be done because of bad runoff, flooding from the runoff and stuff like that, water damage. So there was value-add potential there. And that's what we saw. And that's kind of what we were looking for. Like, Where can we add value and enforce depreciation on this thing really quickly? So I think did I answer your question there? I know I kind of ran for a minute.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, kind of two things I want to talk about real quick, because you kind of hit them on the head. I think a lot of people that are used to residential or small multi, four units and less, they don't understand debt service coverage ratio or how you can increase the value of the property strictly based on reducing expenses or increasing revenue, right? A lot of people that own the four units or less they get an appraisal and it's based on sales that are in the area, and that's it. That's the only way yeah. you can increase value unless you tear it down and build something bigger. But to go from the small multi to learning that aspect in the commercial side of things, did you find that the way that commercial works to be more beneficial to you because you have more control over that value? Or was it easier on the small multi when you're doing that to, I guess, feel more comfortable knowing, okay, these, Three or four properties right around the area were worth 150 thousand more. We have a good deal here versus oh man, we're gonna to have to renovate 16 units or do all this work to the property in order to increase the value. What was more appealing to you?
1: The the control aspect, absolutely, and all day every day. And I'll kind of go back to that first two duplex we bought. They were on the cusp of like right at downtown Durham, which they had been. I don't know if the term is right. They were gentrifying it They were banking it really nice. So when you buy a property like that, you're betting on it. You're betting that if I improve this property right now in the next year, as they continue to improve this neighborhood, the value is going to go up, right? So yes, when you take a terrible property and rehab a single family home, you're going to increase the value naturally, but it's not going to increase more than what 90% of those, like you just said, what 90% of those homes in that neighborhood are doing. So you're betting on the appreciation of the area, right? There are other things like if you buy a dump and you completely flip it, like that's a different story, Right that's a whole nother topic. But what we were doing was buying rentals. So to be able to push the rent, you can only push the rent so far and you can only push the value of the property so far. You can put a million dollars into it, but it's still not going to praise higher than the other properties in that area are doing. So sure. yeah, it was absolutely the control piece. And it blows people's mind when people are used to doing single family and they look at a, a multifamily. Like I just underwrote a 200 unit the other day and it was 50% expenses, we could right off the bat raise rents. Like We just looked at it like, what if we raised $50? I was doing this with a, somebody else, one of the other partners who was trying to figure understand it more. And just by decreasing expenses, 10% and raising rents by $50 per door, we raised the value, how much it would be valued if we were to go refinance or to sell it. It was valued $7 million worth more than the purchase price just by doing that. Now, obviously, you have to figure out how do I decrease expenses, right? Where can I cut expenses? Where can I improve efficiencies? How can I justify a $50 raise on rents, right? Which $50 isn't much. And that's actually pretty easy to justify in most markets. But the reality is, like, that's what you look for when you're looking at these properties. It did take us a while to learn that. But when we figured that out, like, man, that's great. And one of the tricks we learned was when you go walk a property or have a couple property managers in your back pocket, you know, you guys do property management. If I came to you and I said, Hey, you have worked in this area for the past 10, 20, 30 years, you know what market rents are doing. You know, not me, like I have a good idea, but I want to talk to the expert. And that was a big part for us was bringing on other experts. And so we'd come to, we talk to a property manager, like, Hey, how far, what are the rents look like? Are these good rents? Or can we push those rents higher? And if we can't, what would we have to do to the property to push the rents higher? Right? The bleeding hearts out there are going to be like, well, you're pushing people out of their homes. But on the flip side, you got to understand, like, we're providing value. We are making these places better to live. If they don't want to live in a nice place, people don't have to, obviously, and they won't. And we're trying to provide affordable housing to working class Americans that have good amenities and, and it's clean and well kept and everything. You know, that was the goal, and that's how markets appreciate is by doing this. And I just bring that up because for some reason I'm getting hammered on social media about this. <laughs> Yeah. So it was definitely the control piece. I love how quickly you can do that, improve a property because it's valued like a business. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through offsite professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done. Have freedom in your time and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com.
2: Well, and that, the other thing that you just mentioned too is by increasing rent $50 on 300 units, it's a drastic increase in value. Whereas you do that on a four unit and you get an extra 200 bucks a month. So it doesn't really move the needle like it would on a commercial property. Going back to that 16 unit, I know you talked about the due diligence where you found some issues. When you do those inspections, and I know you probably underwrite the deal prior to going and walking the property and everything like that. How much do you have to adjust your capital improvement project, your capital improvement plan after seeing something like termites and new AC units and all that stuff? Or did you kind of have that in your underwriting prior to actually getting on site?
1: We did have it in our underwriting and I'm actually pulling it up right now. I think we had, I want to say it was like 5,000 per unit underwritten. And I think we did end up having to increase it. But luckily we were big on Joe Fairless's book at the time. And I still think he has some great tips and tricks in there. And one of the things he said, and it stuck with me ever since, was always buy for cash flow, always get long-term low-interest rate mortgages, and always have cash reserves. And so we had cash reserves on hand. We had, I think it was like 25000 on hand to cover us in case anything else came up, right? Mm-hmm. Which is not huge. It's not huge. The cash reserves we have nowadays for these 200, 300 units, it's a lot more. <laughs> the 25000 is not going to cover it, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, so at the time, like that was... And it's your first deal. And so you're kind of like hesitant to dip into it. And so we did have to increase the capex, the allow, allowable capital expenditures within the first year, because at some point, obviously, you're going to take a loss if, if you do too much, right? So you want to stagger that, or you want to stagger how many units you turn at a time, especially on a 16 unit. The bigger the deal, like it's a little bit easier to turn. 10, 20 units at a time, but you got to figure out what your break-even is too, right? So how many units can be vacant and we're still cash flowing, and how many units can be vacant and we're just breaking even? And then what does that look like for us and our investors? You know, how long will that take and are we willing to go through that? Or should we stagger it out even longer? That was a big learning curve for us, was just figuring out how to stagger the rehab so that it continued to cash flow, pay our investors, pay, you know, of course, cover all expenses, all that. But yeah, we did end up dipping into our capex reserves.
2: And since you have your underwriting pulled up or you're just looking at it, do you use kind of a standard criteria when you're underwriting 50% expense ratio and maybe like a 20% under market rent? Or how conservative are you when it comes to underwriting?
1: We do look at, again, we consult with the property managers. We really think they're one of the best assets you can have in your back pocket. What is a good vacancy rate in that area? Right? And something else we learned is like a lot of institutions won't loan if they're less than, especially during COVID, this was a huge thing for us, was they wouldn't lend on properties that were less than 92% occupied. So that was something you have to deal with. But finding out, you know, what makes sense in that area from the property management side. So when we look at a property and we see anything over 40% in expenses, we know we can do well there. If we see more than 10% in a vacancy, like we know we can fix that, right? Those are things we can fix really easy. Obviously, we're talking to property management on that side because they're going to handle a lot of that. How fast can we get this rented up? Is it in a good enough neighborhood that's desirable? You know, That's kind of what we're looking at. And then we're also looking at, like you said, we want to see at least 10 20%, depending on what the other ones are, like what the other expenses we can decrease. We want to see where else we can add value. Of course, the rent is part of that. If we can raise rents 20% in the first year to two years, that's really good. But if it's only 10%, then maybe can we add washers and dryers to all the properties? So now we can raise rents even higher, right? Or maybe we put in a playground and a dog park and absolutely, we always clean it up, but you clean it up, you rebrand it. Like, What else can we do to make this a whole new place and offer new amenities? Is there a problem with parking? Do we need to redo the parking? Do people need to pay for parking? The gym, the 384 unit we did, we put in a whole new gym, and it just made sense. It was a C-class property and no C or B-class properties had nice gyms like that. And so that's a huge amenity you know, to workforce housing to have their own free gym at the place they're willing to pay $100 more a month for that. Yeah. So those are the things we look at. When we started out, there was a standard. Yes, we want 20% below market rent. We want 50% expenses because we know we can dec- decrease those. And we want occupancy rates fairly stable At that time. But as you get better at it, you see where you can improve those. And so a lot of times you find those, I'm not going to call them diamonds in the rough, but ones that people overlook just because they're not that standard. There's so many gurus out there teaching, like it has to be this, this, and this, which is great for beginning. But if you figure that out, like, and you can add value and decrease expenses a bunch of different places.
2: Yeah. And I think you mentioned a couple of things that, especially newer investors or people that are trying to take that step from the small multi to the larger assets. Maybe don't know about. I mean, you mentioned adding washer and dryers, whether that's a shared washer and dryer that you can charge for, you know, by quarters or whatnot, or adding it to the units to increase the rent. We also touched on adding a playground, dog park, other amenities that you know you're not going to be able to charge someone to go to a playground, but it's going to increase the rent, and people are going to be willing to pay more because it has those additional amenities, which I think a lot of people overlook, especially yeah. when they're first beginning. So for this sixteen unit. It was your first syndication deal. How did you get investors to believe in you and your product and your service? And how did they believe that they were going to make money with Valkyrie? That is the
1: age old question because that question comes up. I don't care if you've done one deal to a hundred deals. How are you going to convince somebody of the value of your investment that it's worth enough for them to give you their money? Right? People have to know, like, and trust you. And they have to understand what you're doing because the confused mind says no. And I can't remember who said that, but it's absolutely true. When people are confused, they don't understand. They're going to say no every time. I don't know the percentage, but it's really small amount of people in America that invest in real estate, whether by themselves or through other people like us. Typically, it's educated, wealthier people that do it. And you know that makes sense because the offerings are structured that way. But yeah, so how do you get people to know, like, and trust you? And for us, a lot of it was the branding. We really focused on branding ourselves. So I was no longer Ashton, the guy making military jokes on Facebook anymore. I was Ashton, the real estate investor. And anytime somebody had a question, and it didn't matter what it was, they didn't even, most of the time, people didn't even know what I was actually specializing in. People thought I was flipping homes half the time. People thought they didn't know what I was doing. I talked about real estate all the time from work to when we were at meetups to online, all that stuff. And we branded ourselves, came up with Valkyrie Investment Group. And you don't necessarily have to do this. Understand that on social media, if you're talking about cats and how much you hate Trump, that's your brand. If you talk about real estate, all of a sudden that becomes your brand. And the more you do it, the more you show credibility, the more you show your knowledge, the more people are going to ask you questions. And people would come up to me and ask me, hey, I have a bad renter in this home. What do I do about it? You know, I'm like, oh, so now we're talking about that. And that's fine. That's not what I specialize in. But that helps build credibility. So anytime people wanted to talk about real estate, they're like, "Hey, go talk to Ashton." So that was people at work, that was family members, that was friends and family, you know, all that. So that's essentially what happened. And I'll tell you, we read a couple of books. We read Hunter Thompson's book on raising capital for real estate, and then we also read uh, Matt Faircloth's book on raising capital. And like, if you're looking at getting into this on how to raise capital and everything, they're great starting points. Another one is building your story brand. Like I said, I read a lot. So I have a ton of books to choose from, but building your story brand is really good. on building your brand that people know, like, and trust. But we took all those three books and I'll give you a quick one was like, we made four lists right off the bat. We made a list of family, of friends, coworkers, and then friends of friends or friends of coworkers, extended network. Right. And then we went down that list and we said, all right, who of all these people in our network have retirement funds, have equity in their home, have cash value in their life insurance policies, have cash, obviously, that's the first one, or have even liquid investments in stock market. And we put check marks next to all those guys' names. And then we essentially reach out to them, not asking for money, because when somebody asks for your money, the first thing you're going to say is no, or what's it about, you know, unless they already trust you. But just to talk about what we're doing, and a lot of times we would just say, do you know of anybody that would be interested in making a 15 to 20% return over a five-year-old? And believe it or not, that beats the stock market every day of the week. And people start to think about that. And so I never put the pressure on people. I never said, hey, do you want to invest in our deal? I said, do you know people? And a lot of times people would be like, well, I do know people. And actually I am one of those people. And so that's how it started. And I talk a lot. So to cut it down is we built our brand. We were very focused about who we are and what we're doing. And then we made lists and we reached out to those people. And now we do a lot of different marketing on social media, providing free education, meetups, blogs, all that stuff. And it continues. We're still building that brand. We're still helping people know, like, and trust us. We have to get in front of people and we have to show them the process. And so they're not confused. Investing in real estate is easier than it has ever been before they created the 401k so that people can invest in stock market. But now you can just go on like, there's all these apps, you can just invest in stock market. Well, you can do that in real estate now too. There's apps like Syndication Pro and Invest Next. And so they've made it very easy. And so for us, it was just about connecting those thoughts.
2: How many investors did you have in that first deal? Oh, I think that was about 25. Okay. Uh, I'm saying that off the top of my head. I think it was around there though. Very nice. Last question I have, unless you have other things you want to talk about this specific deal... When it came to the financing aspect, because I know Mm -hmm. that can be a daunting task for first-time investors. Yes, I know you said you have a good relationship with a mortgage banker, mortgage broker. How many people did you have to talk to in order to actually obtain financing for this first syndication? And what kind of financing did you get, if you remember?
1: Yeah, I can pull up the financing, I think. I'll take a look at that real quick. Again, it was relationship-based with this gentleman. He, I can't even remember the bank he worked for, but it was a recourse loan, which... You know, if it's over a million, you can get a non recourse loan, which is optimal. You kind of want that because then you don't stand to lose everything if something goes south, right? But it was a recourse loan. You know, we were committed to making this work. So we had a 75% loan to value purchase loan, 20 year amortization at a 4.25% interest rate. And we were looking at refinancing. We actually didn't end up refinancing. I will add this at the end because we went full cycle with that deal. We were going to refinance at 75% loan to value. And get at least 62% of investor capital back. That was the plan. Now we got this under contract in the fall of 2019. We closed January of 2020. And if my memory serves me, COVID hit March or April, May, something like that, right? And that's when we, I don't know, for lack of a better term, should have break. (laughs) Because we got really worried. You know, cash flow went to zero for us. Investors still made their, I think it dropped to 6% from an 8% prep, but we had a catch up that once it got back up to what we promised that they would catch them up every month, it wasn't at where it was supposed to be. So we were making zero, but our Investors were making the 8% preferred return. But after COVID died down, I continued to add value to the property, raise rents, make it more profitable. There were six months there where it was a struggle because people were trying to not pay. So we had to do the paperwork for them to get the capital or the government to provide the, I can't remember what they call it. Rental
2: assistance. Yep, rental
1: assistance. So we actually put in a lot of work doing that. Our property manager was awesome about it. And we were able to sell within two years and everybody on the deal made a 50% return per year. So they doubled their money in two years. Actually, it was 62%, I think, if you count the cash flow. But yeah, so they doubled their money in two years. So like the stuff works. For us, it was a very quick learning curve from buying to going into COVID to being able to sell within two years. Like We learned a lot from that one.
2: This deal basically started pre-COVID. You got it stabilized during COVID and then you sold it when COVID ended or when it started to die down a little bit.
1: Yes. Yeah. We sold it the beginning of this year, right? So yeah. Two years. Yep. Almost exactly. It's amazing when you don't understand it. Like we didn't understand it at first. And you're kind of like, that's crazy that you can make that much in two to five years. The plan was to make that much in five years, but the offer came to us at two years in, and that was the sale price that we wanted to sell in five years. We're like, well, yeah, let's sell it then.
2: (laughs) Don't need to wait three more years. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, do you have anything else about this deal specifically you want to mention?
1: Yeah. I think if you're new to this and you're getting into this, or if you're looking for people to invest with, I think some really good questions to ask are going to be some of the things we talked about today. Just who's managing the property and what's their experience? Because our property manager definitely saved us. He'd never been through COVID, but he had experience with problem tenants. He knew all the laws. He knew how to use the system to Our advantage, not to screw anybody over, but obviously we're not providing free housing either. So he was a very hardworking property manager. He'd been in that market for 20 years, 20 plus years
2: at that time. So
1: I think that's one of the things who's on the team and how long have they been doing this? It's a great question to ask when you're working with somebody new or putting your team together.
2: Very nice. Where can people connect with
1: you? Probably our website's the easiest, but I'm all over social media too. But our website is www.valkyriegroup.com and Valkyrie is spelled V-A-L-K-E-R-E. It's actually an anagram of our last name. So it's not spelled the traditional way. So, I mean, if you go on there, you'll see me and my family, me and my brother's family down there as well. You can sign up for a call. We'll jump on a Zoom call. But you can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok even. So we're all over the place.
2: And if my memory serves correctly, I believe you have a podcast as well. That's right.
1: Yep. I always forget. Yeah. We have a
2: podcast. We have a blog. We actually
1: have a monthly meetup too, where we bring in other experts in the field and talk about how they are increasing and preserving wealth through real estate. So what's your podcast called? The podcast is called The Art of Winning, and that's focused on health, wealth, and happiness. And so we do a lot of wealth related stuff, but we also focus on the psychology of happiness. And then of course, health and stuff. So that one's a lot of fun.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you again, Ashton. I know this was a quick episode, but there's a lot of value and a lot of good insight from you here. Again, thanks for your time today. And I hope everyone takes a listen to it.
0: Thanks so much for having me, I appreciate it. It's definitely a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.